a light and blimey, it's Sunday again, but it probably isn't Sunday where you are. Yes, we keep making that joke. And yes, it's you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com and this is The Bookworm. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Hi, it's Nymphar. So, uh, in case you don't know what the plot of this is, not that there's a plot, in case you don't know what the idea behind this is, this is a book show. You're listening to The Bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com in association with Starburst magazine, where you can read uh, all sorts of news about books, including a wonderful column called Brave New Words, coming soon, reviews, bookworm hall, and all of that stuff as well. Available at all good bookshops, newsagents, and possibly some naughty newsagents as well. Any who on today's show we will be talking about books because that's the entire point of the show uh, i will be talking about and i darken by kirsten white oh that sounds good uh, and i will be talking about days of blood and starlight by laney taylor so basically today's theme is blood <laughs> yay because everyone likes a bit of blood sounds good but first news, news. Exciting and random book news as it has occurred. Uh, it's always exciting and random around here. Shall we get straight to the Nebula Awards? So, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America are pleased to announce the Hall nominee list is for the Nebula Awards. Um, yes. Um, there's quite a bit in there, isn't there? There's quite a lot of stuff going on. Um, one of the things that's worth... I thought, I thought they'd announced the winners. They have. They Imagine. have announced the winners. Um, oh, okay. Sorry, was I, was I busy with Eurovision? We were, we were in fact, busy with Eurovision. And unfortunately, the Nebula Awards are not announced the same way that the Eurovision Awards are done. Do so it's a, you get all these nominations and all the rest of it, and then you get... Um, the usual sort of, you know, political nonsense. Rather than, rather than you... I think, actually, uh, I've gone off on total tangent, but I think, actually, I would enjoy the Hugos more if it was done in the style of the Eurovision Awards. That there's, there's a thought. Yeah. I, I, could, I, could, I could get behind that. I'm not sure how that would work. However, because I, I simply cannot imagine John Scalzi in... No, and actually now I can imagine John Scalzi in bright neon. Voxman! Neil Paul. <laughs> Voxman! 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 Shall I quickly go over who's won the 2015 Nebula Awards then? So, a best novel has been won by uh, Nomi Novik uh, for her novel Uprooted. Uh, let's see, who else? Um novella because they've got they've got sensible kind of categories in the in the the nebulas it's not like the hugos and novella has been run by uh, run for binti which is nendi ogafor ogafor you keep correcting me on this i keep getting her name wrong i'm very sorry Best novelette is Our Lady of the Open Road by Sarah Pinsky. I've not read any of these. Uh, short story, Hungry Daughters and Starving Mothers, Alyssa Wong. Can you see a theme here? 
Can I just ask, when they talk no- novel, novella, novelette, are they the same length of of work as other awards, or is everyone different? I think there's. I think. I think. <laughs> I think. The, I think basically. I think there's a different. general general idea, but they're not standardised, so there will be a slight difference between. So it's like ladies' clothing, pretty much. Right. So the red. Bradbury Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation. Our choices were Ex Machinaire, Inside Out, Jessica Jones, The Martian, Stores, The Force Awakens, or Mad Max Fury Road. Now, given the themes so far that we've had with the winners, which one do you think's won? Mad Max. Yeah. Mad Max. Did it? Yes, hey. Mad Max won. Updraft by Fran Wilde won uh, the Young Adult Science Fiction Fantasy Award. Um, yeah, and Terry, so Terry Pratchett won <laughs> the... <coughs> Uh, was recipient of the Kate Wilhelm Solstice Award. Mm. Um, I always, I always find this a bit creepy when they, because they have a, they have like a, like a Grand Masters because it's an association. So someone won the, uh, the the uh, Knight Memorial Grand Master, which always sounds a bit weird to me. But anyway, <laughs> that sounds like um, it should be the personal gift of the Queen. Yeah. Rather than a bunch of science fiction writers. Mm. But yes, so, uh, an outstanding win for women. Uh, unfortunately, the Hugos won't follow suit because of idiocy. But uh, <laughs> there we go. That was nice. Um, also, they've allowed um, games writers into their ranks. So if you write video games, you, you're you allowed to be a member of the Science Fiction Writers or Association of America. I think that's fair. I yeah, think that's yeah. really fair because a lot some... Of yes, some... some sort of more modern video games the plot is outstanding and the stories and and the different twists so yeah well done yeah i think i'm a bit surprised that it's taken them that long to be honest because games games writing is definitely a thing richard k morgan writes video games it is richard k morgan you know what i mean so it should definitely be a thing uh, the edge hill short story prize uh, the shortlist for the edge hill short story prize it was announced earlier this month um the the shortlist is actually fairly unsurprising uh so chani miavel is up for three moments of an explosion uh, angela reedman is up for don't try this at home uh jesse greengrass uh kate clancy Stuart effers and thomas morris have all got short stories in this particular game um shall we get on to the horror that is the um the gemmel awards so we're not going to go through the list of potential nominees for the gemmel awards because they're very long uh, i would like to point out that jim jen, jen williams is iron ghost is it iron ghost or it's silver tide silver T- one of jen williams is on there i'm guessing one of adrian tchaikovsky's is on there as well uh essentially a whole bunch of writers that we really like are on there uh and if they're not then they should be uh yeah it's a big long list uh, yeah um, there's a big long but, list but, of but, but Francis Hardidge is, is going as a as a guest of honour mm. yeah it's going to be it's all going to happen at uh, FantasyCon which um, didn't the Gimmels happen at Nine Worlds, Nine last, Worlds year. last year yeah. it was, it was, that was, did you not think that was weird I thought that was a bit weird yeah. it just just felt a bit because it was, cause it, it's, was it felt very like we are going to drop this thing into the middle of this other thing and we're going to sort of pretend that the, that the bigger thing isn't really happening yeah, it didn't feel like a Nine Worlds event. Nine Worlds is full of... It's a smorgasbord. Nine Worlds is a smorgasbord of lots of weird things that kick off. Whereas... And the Gavels just felt a bit off, if you say what I mean. It didn't feel like a Nine Worlds award ceremony. Mm. Um, whereas I think they found a good home at... Um, Fantasy Con. Fantasy Con. They've done that thing where they've moved around a lot. So they might move around. But yeah, um, past, past guests include... 
everyone. John Aitken, <laughs> Clyde Parker, Terry Brooks, Ramsey Campbell, Rimini Fires, Jesper Ford, uh, James Herbert, Tom Holt, Graham Joyce, Tanner Lee, Anne McCaffrey, Joshua Martin. Did they write good fantasy books? Yes. Have they have they been involved at some point at FantasyCon? Yes. Should I go to FantasyCon? Yes. Should I actually sort out tickets so I can go? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, do I have any money? No. Uh... Also, uh, A.S. Chambers asked us very nicely to plug his uh, latest Sam Spelucci book, Shadows of Lancaster. Uh, jobs are good. We've just done that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, A.S. Chambers is one of those, he's one of those writers that you see. At- is he not doing a little mini tour? I feel there's a little mini tour. I think I've seen it on Facebook. He's always doing a little mini tour. That's yeah. the kind of cool thing. You always grab him at like a, a like an MCM or a Nine Multi style event or Comic Con E style event or something along those lines. He's always just there. Um, and he's always willing to chat to to people and talk about his books and talk about his work, and it's fun. He does fun fun stuff. So, yes, and also you know more supernatural goings on in Lancaster. You, you can't really argue with that. <laughs> so this is the third book in the series. Um, it is indeed, and it's available in all major booksellers online or on the high street. We've probably missed some major book news, but hey, um. Someone should write a book on Eurovision and then we'd have an excuse. Oh, people have. I've got a book on Eurovision. But, no, but is it a sci-fi fantasy or iconic that we can talk about? No. What? That's the thing. Oh, okay. Oh. What are you suggesting? I'm suggesting, okay, someone out there needs to write me a book about supernatural happenings at Eurovision. Oh, and then I can oh, read I, it I, I have, and talk about it. I, I have a pitch. Go I have on. a pitch. Okay, okay, go on. Tell us. So, each year, each nation takes the godhead of their nation the 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 the, uh, uh, the spiritual force that represents their country and that godlike being possesses a singer and then they enter a music competition or to put it another way wicked plus the divine versus eurovision oh jesus <laughs> the child of my heart yes write that i'm, I'm, I'm reminded that um Violin from the Gay Agenda, Thursday nights here on Fab Radio, uh, has written a little radio play that's the Intergalactic Song Contest, which is blatantly Eurovision with the VIN number scratched off. I seem to, I seem to recall that I played a fart in that particular... Yeah, I played an opera diva. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, just, just write that and then I'll read but, it but and that, that, it. Was, that was Eurovision in space, essentially. In space! That works too. Mm. Although I, I do love me some got punk, so you know, bring it. Yeah, a little bit of God Punk. I think it would work as God Punk. I think it would work as Space Opera as well. Um, I think basically the Eurovision as an idea works for, for all anything. sorts of drama. Just you could, you write could, it. Just you write could it. Quite easily do various murder mysteries like the backstage castle episode set in the in Eurovision. Not anymore. Oh uh, no. Yeah, what's what's that? It's still books. He's a, he's a, he's he, an author. He's a published author. He's an, is he not a New York Times bestseller? Yes. Is it, I'm yes. sure he's actually a New York he Times bestseller. He actually is a yeah, New York now, Times yeah, bestseller because yeah. yeah. they did that whole thing. Uh, in case you have no idea what we're talking about, there's a TV show called Castle. It's been running for a number of years. Uh, it's it's about... Eight he is um, the idea you have this crime guy who works with the, the police and he writes books and then what they cleverly did of course is ABC being part of Disney part of a multinational company released 
books that had been get ghostwritten, but apparently they'd been written by the Rick Castle from the TV show, up to the point where you could turn the back of the book and there was Nathan Fillion's face, uh-huh. who's the guy who plays Rick, Rick Castle, Castle in the show, yes. uh, and his biography as an author. So there you go. That was always yeah. a nice little gag. But it did I've actually hit me. I've not read any of them, but I, I, I really want to, but a part of me is like, oh, they're going to be so cheesy and bad and, and fabulous. They're not bad. They're quite, I quite like them. I, yeah. I'm about two or three pounds at this point, but the ones, the first like five I've read are, are lovely. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They they did actually hit the New York Times bestseller, is what we're saying. So 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 uh, life imitates um, uh, fiction once more. <laughs> so uh, moving on, shall we do big news? Yeah, let's talk about blood. Blood. going to kill you it will be me understand her brother nodded snuggling into her shoulder will you protect me until the day i kill you <laughs> no one expects a princess to be brutal and larder to cool likes it that way ruthlessness is the key to survival and for the lineage that makes her and her brother so special also makes them targets kirsten white's and i darken is coming out in july and it is the story of larder to cool that would be the daughter of Dracula. Yeah, that dude. Yeah, this is the this is the story sto- story of Lada Dracula. It starts literally with her birth. She she's born. Her father basically goes, "Is it a boy?" Loses interest when it's not. Walks out the room. Mostly loses interest in his daughter at this point, which is a terrible, terrible mistake. Uh, briefly, this is a book that's set during the the time of of Vlad Tepes. It's set during the time of the Ottoman Empire. So we have you know, Transylvania, we have we have Hungary, we have the Ottoman Empire, we have all of this going on. And Lada very swiftly realizes that she is going to be used as chattel. She's going to be used as goods. She's not beautiful in the sense that, you know, she's not marketably beautiful. Marketably. Yeah, she, 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 she can't be used in a trade that way. She's going to get used that way. She knows that. But she has no desire to be used that way. So she fights. She fights. She's vicious. She's inherited her father's nature. She is a cruel child. And she's also the hero of the novel. As a child, she seeks two things. Approval from her father, who is a monster, and um, friendship. She has one friend. He's called Bogdan. He's huge. He's scary. And he loves Lada. She has a brother. The brother Radu is a brother. He's another another heir, potentially. And whereas Lada is strong and knows her mind and knows what she's doing, her little brother is... Desperate to keep out of the firefight, shall we say? He doesn't want to die. He knows that he's more of a thinky, uh, considered sort of chap. Much more every bit the prince. 
So, those three kind of make unlikely allies and become unlikely friends. Things change, of course, when Ad to punish Lada for her viciousness and for her cunning, her father sends um, Bogdan off to become a janissary in the Ottoman Empire, which is unfortunate. He then, because he's desperate for power and desperately wants to be king, eventually ends up trading his children away as well and slowly but surely Lada's story begins uh, it's really hard not to give spoilers for this book so what the story is about is it's about a young girl's journey where she is a princess but this is not a let it go style story this is not Snow White this is not a Disney princess this princess has knives several knives and a sword and can kick your ass I like her already she is very pragmatic, very vicious. There is a strong sense of humour running through all of this as well, which I kind of find I kind of find it really kind of compelling with the character because you sit there and there's this towards the end. Again, it's not a spoiler, but there's a wonderful line where where she goes, "I'm armed, I'm ready," and someone goes, "Well, we're not. We've just gotten out of bed." And she's like, "Do you not carry knives under your pillow? Why don't you carry <laughs> knives under your pillow?" And then one of her friends just goes, "Smash." Uh, crunch I've improvised myself a club and he's just like yes this is what these characters are like uh, and that it really works as an idea and yes there's a lot of talking this there's a lot of politics and in the first book you get the feeling that what the author is trying trying to do what Kirsten White's trying to do is she's trying to trying to establish in the reader's mind the the, the kind of the historical precedent the kind of the, the build of the world because this is a world that is set in history we have you know we have the Turks, we have Ottomans, and we have an empire being built. And how how can a w- one woman rise in a strongly patriarchal society, in a society that you know can't even really decide its its balance of of, of in the eyes of God? Never mind its balance, you know, the way that it should treat normal people. So there's all of that kind of running through it. I like I, I like Lada Dracul as a character. I partially like Lada Dracul as a character because she is just utterly unsympathetic. She's she is a monster. We know she's going to be a monster. We know that she's going to run in and punch things, and that's that's great. That really works. Uh, so yeah. Um, so explain to me, like looking at the is it is that an advanced reader's copy? It is indeed because uh, the cover is covered in in um, names of of different heroines from different books. I understand that this is this is yeah this is the art copy where it's got you know, Ellen Ripley, Elizabeth Slander, Jessica Jones, Elizabeth Bennet, Roy Gilmore. I don't know if this is going to be the actual cover. No, it looks like I, I can see the cover. The the other cover that we've got in the press release here is uh, one of a very moody looking girl in um in various bits of makeup and she looks like she's about to stab you and does it does it fall into that annoying stereotype where you know she's just a moody sullen violent character no the she has emotions she cares she loves um she is a person she you know she does bleed she's not just you know she's not like a buffy the vampire slayer style badass who's always just a badass who's always just a badass and we're we're bored there she's actually there's more to her i know you're about to but buffy's got got dimension yes there yes she has but she's not this this character is not a one-dimensional 
one hit wonder she's carefully built one of the problems with this book is it's a bit long it's a bit slow okay. it gets away with that by being very compelling it's very talky um you get the idea behind the characters quite quickly um the the political wrangling he kind of you know, she sets up the characters to do certain things and off they go and they do their certain things uh the the reveals of reveals you can kind of see where those things are coming from but i'm an old cynical bloke uh, and this is meant to be young adult in its its setup i like it's not really young adult it's just a good book that you should read and enjoy uh yeah uh, i'm trying to think of what else i can talk about it really see <coughs> excuse me you just said young adult and and there's a part of me that always says yeah but that just means that the the, the main character is is sort of teen or very very young starts but, off as a baby and then grows up yeah. during the course i mean she's still young but it doesn't the end. mean that the audience of the book has to be a young teen audience it just means that that's the type of story you're gonna get if you're looking for a historical or political socio-political examination of the ottoman empire you'll not get it here no um however it will it does do the thing where it uses that as a backdrop and it uses that as a world and it sticks pretty close to history as much as it can yeah i mean i'm guessing obviously because we're reviewing it it's 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 sort of like a, a fantasy um tale as opposed to well well historical. yeah dracula didn't have a daughter yeah. and this is the story of dracula's daughter yeah. um no but what i mean is there a supernatural element to it as well yeah, look at that face. I really don't want to spoil anything. Okay. Is the one thing. And okay, so so and we want we want to ask. I, I would I would argue that it's alternate history. Okay. So it's alternate history in that that level of fantasy, alternate history, because oddly enough, you know, the Ottomans didn't have a lot. Lada didn't exist. <laughs> so, but wouldn't it be cool if she did? Yes. If you see what I mean. Um, but yeah, it doesn't go down the predictable supernatural route, shall we say it? Mm -hmm. uh, at least it doesn't in the first book. All right. And I would get the feeling that perhaps the author is desperate to avoid being pegged into a particular uh, area. To be honest. Yeah, much like Larder, the book does not want to be rammed into a particular role or hole um, and uh, controlled that way. So, yeah, so that's And I Darken. It's on Corgi, mm -hmm. which is the the world's most adorable book imprint. It's <laughs> a good boy. It's a good boy. And it's by Kirsten White. the world 24 hours a day this is Fabrian International Welcome back to the Bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com. Um, I'm Nympha Hayes. I'm here with the lovely Ed. Say Hello! Hi. <laughs> um, and Ed has just reviewed for us And I Darken. 
by um, Kirsten White. Kirsten White. And I have in my hands the second book in the um, Daughter of a Smoke and Bone series uh, by Lainey Taylor, and it's called Days of Blood and Starlight. I did mention last week that I was reading this and I was really into it. Um, so... If you haven't read any of Lainey Taylor's books, and um, particularly if you haven't read Daughter of Smoke and Bone, um, I'll tell you very, very, very sort of short um, setup for the story. Um, so this, this is the story of Karu. Um, Karu's grown up mostly in Prague. <clears throat> Um, and Karu has um, a special job. Um, she collects teeth for Brimstone. And Brimstone is a chimera. So he's, I mean, in, in, in simple terms, he's, he's a monster-like creature made out of different bits of animals and, and, and human sort of aesthetics. Um, and he is a resurrectionist uh, for the chimera uh, and so he sends Caro out to collect these teeth and with the teeth and bones and other bits um, Brimstone builds bodies for the chimera that are fighting in uh, their dimension against the angels <coughs> um, so that's the setup for the first book and in the first book we meet Caro and we meet Brimstone and all um, he's um, assistants uh, that help him and uh, all of the chimera that have sort of brought up Caro as one of uh, their own daughters even though Caro is human um, completely and utterly human the only thing that she has is um, she has sort of like tattoos of Hamza's on her hands and she's had this for as long as she can remember um, and Cara as I said lives in Prague and has a best friend in Susanna um, who is um, uh, sort of an artist she does puppeteering and she's wonderful and they do um, street performances uh, and she likes this boy uh, called Mick and he's a violinist and, and Cara's life sort of revolves around uh, doing Brimstone's work and spending time with her friends and sort of like um, wondering about this strange life that she has Brimstone has all these different doors and you open a different door and you enter a different part of the world and so she knows people in Marrakesh and she knows people all over the world uh, that will help her uh, get hold of different teeth and and uh, that's her life until an angel tumbles into the world and brings back um, her memories of a past life that is not so past. Do, do angels have a dental plan? No, and that's funny you should ask that because that becomes very relevant in the second book. Um, so that's the premise of the first book. Um, because these have been out for quite a long time, I feel no guilt in telling you that at the end of the book you discover that Caro is in fact not human. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. She's in fact a chimera whose body's been rebuilt by Brimstone. So her soul was saved sort of at the last minute. And uh, he built her a human body to hide her away from everything that was happening back in Rats, which is the, the land, the dimension where the chimera and angels have been fighting for millennia. 
Um, and and the reason why he he had to do this is because she fell in love with an angel. Oops. And you don't do that. And so she was executed, and the angel was tortured, managed to escape, and rejoined the angel ranks uh, in a in a bit of a huff and puff because you know obviously the chimera are evil and must be destroyed and they killed my love and and oh no i will never see her again and then obviously at the end of the first book you realize that actually he he will see her again and there she is so the second book starts um with a bit of a tragedy because things have gone really bad um akiva who's the angel is back in rats and he believes that Karu's dead and at the beginning of the second book he's sort of aiming around um he's roaming around aimlessly um because he he really has no purpose anymore he's lost his love he's lost himself he doesn't believe in the angel's cause anymore because he's seen more to the chimera than the others have um and he's his wanderings bring him to a cave where he founds uh, a thurible and this is um a container that the chimera used to put their souls that are been that have been gleaned that um are waiting for a body to be reborn oh. um and on the thurible um a one word karu which in chimera means hope so he believes that he's holding the soul of karu um and obviously he will do anything to to find out if there isn't uh, a new um, resurrectionist because brimstone is dead as well um, and so this book sort of explores um, the other side. The first book is more about um, Kara's life in the human world and then finding out who she was. The second book is all about the war and the aftermath of, uh, aftermath of the war uh, between the angels and the chimera. Um, the angels appear to have won, but someone has started resurrecting chimera and they don't quite know who it is. To me, the way that you've described that, it sounds like a perfectly good first story ruined by a sequel. No, no, it really isn't. It's it just it adds a second level because obviously the the first one sort of leaves you on the tether: is she dead? Is she not? What's he gonna do? She's basically tumbled into a rats with with a, a fallen angel that she found, and and the fallen angel's completely schizo, and it's it's like where is this gonna go? And the second book just basically delves into the other side: what's been going on? What is this war? We get to know the angels. Why have they been fighting? Um, and and sort of we get to know Akiva's side a bit better uh, and then we have Karu on this other side who is alive and has taken on Brimstone's job um, and all all that that entails for her because she hates the guy that's now in charge of the Chimera and so there's a really tense relationship going on there uh, it's I mean I loved the first book and I actually I actually like you didn't think that she could do any better by writing a trilogy and following it up but actually she did um it's it's just wonderful it's beautiful storytelling her voice is just enthralling i could read her stuff all day long and never get bored um it's um i mean it's a fairly long book but actually i read it in like four days and it f and at night time and it felt like like a nice 
paced flow to the story it slows down in places but when it slows down is because there's plot exposition and there's character growth so you don't get bored you don't feel like it's it's a slowing down of the pace you just feel that it's a moment where you're taking care of other things that add to the story move him to it where it slowly builds absolutely then releases and slowly builds yeah which is it's interesting that I, I find much more in fantasy award, uh, fantasy and science fiction more than any other genre, um, that you get the build up and reward more regularly. Mm. So, you, you, the Hunger Games is a great example. Yes. Where it's like, you know, because we talk a lot of rot, people talk a lot of rot about, oh, well, the story follows these broad, you know, these, these rules and they've got to save the cat and blah, blah, blah. And, Hero of a Thousand Faces, and people talk about that mm. quite a lot. But what I find, and what I suspect you're saying here, is that that's not true at all. What you have is you have incident reward, incident reward, incident reward, as it builds along, rather than just, you know, it, 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 you, you can break it down into very broad arc story pieces. But I'm assuming that you get you invest to a certain point, and then there's a reveal... And that's yes. the first. That's the first fifty pages, um, and then yes. it, and then it repeats. Yes, it. The the thing with Lainey Taylor's writing, <clears throat> in my opinion, it's very poetic. There's there's a beautiful flow to it, and she knows how to use words, and she keeps you on the edge, whether they're you know whether they're standing still talking to each other or whether there's a massive battle and and people are dying. You kind of intrigued and you're involved like you really she makes you care about the story to the point where like you say when the little lulls of 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 um of the flow come uh you're kind of taking a breath yourself you're like okay this works because i'm not it's it's not all about the tension it's not all about the action it's also about getting to know the characters better and getting to know the world and and that world building is just amazing and because you're invested in the characters at that point it's all jam absolutely but there's nothing i don't think there is one word here and this is probably down to a wonderful editing as well there is not one word that's too much it's just right um you know there's no extra paragraphs there's no um extra chapters that you think oh i could have done without this you know it's yeah whatever no there's none of that here everything is relevant and everything contributes to the story and it's just perfect you see the thing i like liked about andy darken is you you're rewarded in those lulls those bits where they're talking Mm. about the politics of various empires and various people marrying other various peoples and people are being mentored by all the rest of it there's some stabbing you know when when that's when when you're over and done then 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 you're rewarded with some more stabbing the thing i didn't mention when i was talking about this Mm. by the way which i should have (laughs) oh my goodness the brotherly love (laughs) <laughs> the brotherly love not 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 the you know not the man on man sexual desire but the brotherly love the like the actual bros yeah the, the there's a of, bit of a bromance the, there's an awful lot of platonic love going all the way through this which kind of sets up the beats for the violence i know it sounds weird but it works quite well hmm. so how action paced is days <laughs> of blood and starlight um there is there is certainly a bit of action mostly it's all on the side of the of the angels uh, so basically the story as it goes in the second book uh, they're going after the stragglers 
you know, they've, they've won the war with the big army. Um, they've captured and destroyed Loramandi, which was like the, the Chimera's capital city. Um, and they're now basically getting rid of the beasts. Um, so there's patrols of angels just going out burning forests chasing out in the open struggling chimera and getting rid of them uh, because now they think well their souls can't be gleaned so they won't be coming back um and it's quite gruesome and great in places like your heart literally will clench and you'll go oh i can't read this this is awful and and i think the action is quite good in that sense that it's not there just for the sake of it or let's have a bit of a chase a bit of a fight um it's it's got political ramifications social ramifications you know it's, it's emotional um even when there's some little chapters that are from because it, it's different points of view so you've got oh, Kara's like point of view you've got um akiva's point of view you've got akiva's brother and sister from um the misbegotten who are basically the bastards of the angel um king um who are basically the lowest of the low and they're all banded up in in their own little army and sent to do the dirty work oh poor nephilim i always feel sorry for i know right um and um and basically you see it from lirez and hazael obviously very angelic names um but there's also like this 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 lovely couple of chapters from the point of view of a little chimera girl that went for a run with her sister and uh, got caught in she she ran too far she got swept away by the joy of running and being in the forest ran too far and got caught um, by these angel slavers um and her sister got hurt because they put manacles on them and it was too tight and so she can't walk and and it's just her point of view from it, it it's so sweet and so heart-wrenching um it, it's just beautiful so who's it by it's a Days of Blood and Starlight. It's the sequel to Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Uh, it's by Lainey Taylor and it's published on Hodder, which is a Hachette um, imprint. Hooray. Yay! Andai Darkin isn't out yet. Days of Blood and Starlight has been out, and the entire series has been it's out for ages. It's been out for a while now, yes. And um, there's also an anthology which I reviewed some time ago by Lenny Taylor that I totally recommend called Lipstitch. So we've, we've, we've talked about kick ass, strong female characters. Yep. And angels getting up to naughtiness. Yep. And I was going to bring up something that's been out for absolutely ages but it's going to get a, a whole verification in interest because it's being made into a TV series oh okay Preacher okay I've not read Preacher so the the plot of Preacher is you've got this guy called Jesse, uh, Jesse Custer and he's a preacher in an awful awful American town 
and um, which is written by a guy called Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis likes being naughty about things. He likes being very rude about things. He's an Irishman who's lived in the States for a while, but the idea of Anvil is Anvil is just awful. Anvil's that horrible, you know, that, that, that kind of horrible dusty town where yes. all opinions stopped in the 50s and, you know, if you're at all different, then you're, you're done for, essentially, and the police is corrupt and the town is corrupt and everyone drinks and is awful. <coughs> yes. That's Anvil. So Jess, Jesse Custer is a highly intelligent man who is stuck being the preacher in a... Place in a backwards place. Um, meanwhile, in heaven, an angel and a demon see each other across the plains and decide that they have something in common. And the angel decides to reform the demon, and the demon decides to corrupt the angel. And nine months later, Genesis is born. And Genesis is a ball of angry, angry, angry power of a baby's face. <laughs> that sounds adorable. Um, <clears throat> and what happens in the comic book is there's this wonderful scene where there's a bunch of cerebrum going, well, <coughs> pointing at this huge hole in the side of heaven, well, we think it escaped from there. <laughs> oh, no. Meanwhile, uh, Jesse Custer is in the bar getting drunk and telling everyone that he knows all their secrets and he goes through all the various horrible secrets of the town and gets beaten up um, so full house at the church the following Sunday because the, the yeah. reverend's lost his mind let's let all <coughs> hedge, see. Be hedge betting hedge betting he's either he's either gonna go crazy or he's gonna reveal some more gossip everyone yeah, it's there, gonna be interesting basically bums on seats time yeah meanwhile genesis is <coughs> meanwhile genesis is looking for a human host oh no there's no way this sounds well is that it doesn't this, yeah this is i can only tell this ends badly so, so that's how the, the comic book opens. Uh, Genesis hits Jesse Custer. Jenny, uh, Jesse Custer is thus, thus uh, motivated with the power of God. Um, there, there is an explosion. Most of the village, most of the town, has um, been hit by a holy fire. Um, Jesse's kind of in the wreckage. There's a bunch of police people after him. Uh, meanwhile, by massive coincidence, or is it? Is it a grand design? Um, Tulip, his his ex-girlfriend, uh, has arrived in that town along with a man who's allergic to sunlight oh. called Cassidy. And that's how the comic book starts. The TV series, however, they've cast all the characters. So there's a Tulip, there's a Jesse, there's uh, a Sheriff Root, who's the local sheriff. But they've also cast the people of Anvil, which is weird because in the comic book, they, they're dead. So the a TV series version seems to be more about the town of Anvil and the future and and what's going on there. Than it is about him getting out and being chased for the explosion. Well, he starts getting chased and then he starts getting chased again mm. because obviously heaven, heaven is after, the, the police are after Jesse and heaven and hell are both after Genesis. Genesis. Um, there is also a thing where, the, this is not a spoiler for the book because I believe it's on the blurb of the first 
volume. Um, Jesse Jesse ha- wants to have a word of God because God has you know ruined the world as far as he's concerned. If you're an omnipotent power, why haven't you fixed all this? Genesis just wants answers because you know he's been forsaken. By what him. am I? What am I? So these two people decide that they're going to go and find God oh, and God. have a quiet word. That's just never gonna end well. It's it is it me or, or or have have has television sort of turned an eye and gone, Oh look, there's Lucifer. What else can we do? Well they didn't really make Lucifer, did they? I mean we're gonna talk about this when we in Brave New Words a little bit more, but they didn't really make a TV show out of Lucifer. They took the idea of Lucifer and they turned it into a detective show from what I can understand. Yes. But like the the idea was there and he obviously came from there. Uh, and also, I I, th- I think, and I think a lot of of my friends who who have watched Lucifer and and loved it, agree that the only reason why Lucifer is so amazing, it's because of who they cast to play Lucifer, and he just does such an amazing job of bringing this character to life that you can't help but love the show, even though. If you've read the comic books and the graphic novels, you would want to hate it because it has nothing to do with it. And yet you watch it and you go, I can't hate it. I just can't hate it. But they did that with iZombie as well. So I, Zomb- I haven't seen iZombie, but I've heard oh, good things. Oh, I like it. Yeah. It's, it's a really good idea for a TV show. It's just got nothing to do with the comic book iZombie, which is a good thing, because yeah. the comic book iZombie is brilliant, and I love it, but it's completely bonkers, and it does stuff that only comic books can do. Yes. Um, well, you can do anything with CGI, yes, we know, but still. Yeah, but... I think there's a limit to what translates into good television and some some graphic novels some comics can be a bit disjointed and it did like I I couldn't see <clears throat> Transmetropolitan as a TV show because no. it's just too bonkers uh, unless someone took it and went okay I'm going to take extrapolate these characters and the setting and create new stories so here's an example of something that you can do in a comic book that you can't do in a book uh, Fantastic Four uh, Doctor Doom had, had been gone from the Marvel Universe for a number of years completely completely gone and over the three or four years of, fanta- of Fantastic Four stories, we'd been dropped hints that he maybe wasn't quite gone. But there were very, very kind of subtle dropped hints. Now, this is at a time when Thor's hammer was in the middle of the Nevada desert. And suddenly this burst of energy appears, and everyone's like... There's a burst of energy in the middle of the Nevada. Let's go and investigate because something's going. Maybe Thor's come back, and it's Doom. And they all stop and they stare at Doom, and they go, "How?" And then the rest of the issue is Doom escaping from hell. And it's this entire this it's this forty-page flashback sequence, and it's amazing, and it's almost almost silent all the way through and it just explains to you and it answers every single point that's been left hanging over the last four or five years and you because it's comic books you can reference back you can reference back but you don't need to and the story story is told so swiftly and so cleverly that the punchline is it was nothing and he walks off because Doom is a badass. And it establishes Doom as a badass, badass, badass straight away. You can't do that in TV because you'd be like, what is this episode about this character I can't remember? What? Why? 
what's on the other channel click you just mm. wouldn't be engaged because you haven't got that in level of investment your investment hasn't been built up you would have to be doing lots and lots of 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 a watching you know three seasons ago to see how this character died or died and they would have to have fla- <laughs> and they would have to have flashbacks in other bits of the s- story that would ruin it for you mm. and also there'd be flashbacks in other books that of shows that you don't watch you know what i mean it, it, it wouldn't have worked um and it's that kind of you can you can i could have saved you i could have saved you gentle listener the last two minutes by saying this between panel a and panel b something has happened between the gutters and you and your brain make up what's happened happens between the gutters that doesn't happen in television mm-hmm. it doesn't happen in movies they kind of do it with advert breaks it kind of does at times but because it because it's more about being fed a story than than sort of creating it in your head um it's more difficult to get that level of engagement from a tv show i think books make up books make you make up the story in your brain which is why it takes longest because it doesn't take that long to read it really doesn't mm. but it's making up the story in your brain that slows you down and that's what you want to do because you're digesting the book that's oh, the length of time it takes there's a there's a little meme um that goes around about books going you start reading and 15 minutes later there's a movie going on in your head mm. and and yes exactly that whereas comics kind of split the difference by what they do is they show you everything but they show you everything from point a to point c they don't show you point b that happens between the gutters mm. and in your um, and in your uh, brain in your brain the, the, the gutter the, the gutter is where your imagination lives those little lines between the squares is where your <laughs> imagination lives uh Alan, Alan. I'm sorry, your imagination lives in the gutter. Uh, <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> Alan Moore does this perfectly. He he does this thing where he he takes out little squares of reality through his storytelling. Um, I I can get really pretentious, shall I not? And talk, talk about eternalism. What, what do you mean you can get? <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we'll talk about uh, comic, pa- comic book panels and the concept of eternalism and the fact that um, essentially each moment in time is its own distinct mo- uh, moment in time, some other time, I think. Okay. See how I've done that? Yes. Because um, we totally got off the topic we were talking about. Uh, adaptations fables fables is not an adaptation of once upon a time but it's the same story told it's it's it has all of the elements it has the town it has the um fairy tale characters but the stories are different mostly so yes it's been inspired by obviously anybody that's read fables will go oh i see what you did there um but it's not fables the tv show and it works though because all you need is a clever writing writing team and screenplay team to go this is a really good base for us to work up a very cool tv show that people are going to love um and yeah once upon a time's done it uh, lucifer's done it like there's a bunch of fantastic tv shows elf's on to shinara getting onto books rather than comic books is a tv show adaptation and this is because game of thrones game of thrones has come along yes and suddenly people have gone well, what other massive epics are they? So the Expanse has been turned into a TV series. Mm. Um, I, do you know what? I need to watch more of the Expanse because I liked the first one and then d- didn't get into it. Okay. Um, Elfstones El- of Shinora. We should try and get someone from Elfstones of Shinora. If you can grab Terry Brooks, for example, and see if he's up for a chat. Maybe we can uh, mm. see if we can talk to those guys. Johnny Stavies. No. 
Well, we can that, was, that was a fair proclamation of Welsh there, though. Was it? Yeah, it was. It wasn't bad. John Rhys Davies is an elf son to Shanoa as an elf king. He's been a dwarf. He's been an elf king. It seems to be like the set because Tom Baker's done that as well. He's done a dwarf and elf king as well. It's like it's like let's be every single possible fantasy creature we can find. Do you think they have like a, a bingo card stamp done that? It's got to be. Uh, don't McKellen and Jacoby have that going down in the soaps? <laughs> yes, uh, appear appear on as many popular TV as possible, including Doctor Who. Doctor Who's one of the ones that you get stamped off. So if they both got a stamp for Eurovision last night, yep. whatever on earth that was, that was beautiful. I don't know what it was. No, none of us know what that was. Know, was but a, it was beautiful. It was if you're a, not in Europe, gentle listener, or indeed Australia, hi, good day. Uh, then you probably have no clue what we're talking about because your US. vision. Your, well, well, yes. Uh, my understanding is that that, that was uh, people, pe- people were still watching it via VPNs. <laughs> oh, but now now Eurovision is like officially available in the US. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've been so, so cable channel though, so the, maybe not everybody yeah. has it. The Derek Jacobi. Um, Ian McKellen thing was from they they did a TV series they did do a TV series yes to be fair to them uh, and that was that was a bit from their TV series that they, they'd thrown in because mm. they absolutely adore it the critics hated it and the audience didn't watch it because it was boring uh, unfortunately it just wasn't it was very funny for five minutes uh, and, but it's half an hour long it's one of those it's kind of like the gag is hilarious it's like Upstart Crow they've done a Shakespeare sitcom Mm-hmm. Called Upstart Quote. We've gone totally off where we were going to. It's, it's adaptations. It's all good. Um, the, it's all jammy. And it's not funny. The problem with Upstart Crow is it's not funny. It's trying to kind of remix the concept of wacky wacky Shakespeare. And it's got David. Waka, waka, waka. It's got David <laughs> Mitchell, the, the comedian, not the writer, um, in it. And it's written by Ben Elton. And it's got a cast of you know, brilliant people involved. It doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite work. It's just not funny. I think part of the problem is, is that Ben Elton hasn't been funny for some time. Uh, he hasn't, let's be honest. He stopped being funny sometime in the 90s. Uh, I quite like Stark. The Stark book, well, that's quite fun. Quite enjoyed that. But, yeah, he stopped being funny. We've gone... Uh, yes, so we've got Alfonso of Shyamalan and Ding Dong. Um, that's out, Shana- <laughs> that's Excuse out. me? That is the TV show show called The Shannara Chronicles. Yes, yes. that's yeah, the it one. Is. Yeah, yeah. The Shannara Chronicles. That's, that's, again, filmed in New Zealand. Is it really? I, dis- yeah, I discovered earlier this week. Yeah. Is, it, is it bad fantasy filmed, filmed courtesy of New Zealand yet again? Uh... Oh, I've, 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 I know it has nothing to do with what you've just said, but my, my husband, Gareth, just got really excited yesterday uh, because he discovered that the um, scenes, the, the um, desert scenes in The um, Force Awakens uh, were um, shot in um, Maspaloma Beach in Gran Canaria, which, which is where my mum's family's from. And he was like, oh my God, I would never said. I'm like, they do all of the desert scenes there because beach down the road, man, <laughs> can be that. Convenient, yeah. Um, the I, I was building up to the fact that they try, they finally got their act together and they're going to do The Wheel of Time as a TV series. Oh, is that the thing that's a million words long? It Three is, million. yes. Wow. Yes. Three and a half million words long. Um, huge series of books and it's got that wonderful thing where if you think the smugness from people who've read the books of Game of Thrones is bad uh, I love that I love that about the new series that they're off book and oh, so therefore yeah. even if you've read the books you don't it necessarily does. know and that's just no but then that man. stokes the rage people are like this is nothing like the books I'm still watching it but this is welcome, like welcome to existing through practically every uh, other TV adaptation of a book yeah. series 
ever, mm. with the possible exception of Jeremy uh, of, uh, of the Jeremy Brett Holmes in the eighties from Granada. That comes pretty close to being spot and on. And most Austin adaptations are pretty spot on as well. Usually, a lot of them aren't. Really? A lot of them are terrible. Uh, there, there's a lot of Agatha Christie adaptations, um, especially in the 90s, um, uh. that, that decided to invent lesbians for no, no apparent reason whatsoever. But yeah, the, the, and also change the killer, the, the, which the, is just oh, annoying. No. Yeah, yeah. The Jeremy Brett Conan Doyle adaptations are almost perfect. Yeah. I, I think that comes down to Brett, in fairness. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because cause he's just, he is just Holmes. In, in every way, shape, or form, and I was going to go on about. But Johnny, Johnny Lee Miller in Elementary is basing his performance on the books because he says he's done research and he's he's got the books and he's got notes just sticking out from all over them about the character and character traits and personality and stuff. So he's basing his performance on the book homes, even though the, the, the actual show is obviously you know American modern. Yeah, Watson's a girl. Al Ewing, the fictional man, uh, it's got a great take on Sherlock Holmes. Uh, it's a, it's a, the B plot and why. We're running out of time. Oh, we are. Shall we go? Yes. Oh. Starburst Magazine. Starburst Magazine. The world's longest-running magazine of sci-fi horror and fantasy. Get the latest news, features, interviews, and reviews from your favorite genre. Available from a newsagent near you, or download to your iPad today. Well, I've been at Fortune. And I've been in for haste. The Book Room is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Infa Hayes, produced by Anne Davis. <laughs> <laughs>